what would a world be like with you know, semi-instantaneous access to a firearm? I mean, what would that, how would that look? You're listening to Think Digital Futures. I'm Shane Anderson. And that is Cody Wilson. He runs a company called Defence Distributed. You might have heard of it. They've been in the news a lot lately because of what they're trying to do. Use 3D printers to open up access to firearms to pretty much anyone with an internet connection. When guns become digitized, what would you have to do to stop people from getting this? But you're doing this with what's called a 3D printer. Is this something that really anyone would be able to do? Yes, if you were to have one in your home and you had the gun file, you could just click print and have the gun. They say they're doing what 3D printing is supposed to do, move manufacturing away from the hands of private companies and government regulation and into the hands of the people. And when we're talking about printing things like pharmaceuticals or spare car parts, this seems like a good thing. But Cody Wilson has thrown the democratising potential of 3D printing right into the middle of a heated gun control debate. This episode, we're going to unpack that and take a look at whether the rise in open access firearms is just, as Cody Wilson argues, a logical next step. That's all coming up this episode. While this might seem like a new debate, the story of open access firearms, it doesn't start with Cody Wilson. It has long been the case that people are able and there are readily available materials, both plastic materials, but also metal materials that people can use to assemble their own guns in their own home. This is Timothy Litton. I'm a distinguished university professor at Georgia State University College of Law in Atlanta, Georgia. Tim is an expert in private lawsuits, litigation and public regulation, particularly around gun violence. We caught up over Skype in the middle of a thunderstorm, which Tim says is normal for this time of year, so apologies, the line quality isn't great. But he says that in the States, there's a flourishing trade of DIY gun kits that you don't need a 3D printer for. And they're popular not because people are really into weekend craft, but because they fall into a loophole in gun ownership laws. Any kit or part set that involves a weapon that's less than 80% completed is considered the sale of firearms parts and not the sale of a firearm. And on that basis, it's not regulated very much by federal law. You can sell them without background checks to pretty much anyone who wants to order them over the phone. These are called ghost guns. And in the States, people can buy these ghost gun kits over the phone or over the internet. They send you 80% of the gun, and you just need to provide the other 20% yourself. While it's illegal to sell a gun you've built yourself, it's not illegal to buy these disassembled kits and put one together for your own personal use, without needing a background check. Now, this is only in the States. For the record, this same loophole doesn't exist in Australia. It is not legal to buy or possess a DIY gun kit, so don't do it. But the consensus in Australia also seems to be that if you really want to make a gun, the law will have a tough time stopping you. Put it this way, I can walk into any local hardware store and can go back home and with a reasonably well-equipped shed can manufacture a firearm. 
This is Richard Matthew. He is a lecturer at the Entrepreneurship, Commercialization and Innovation Centre at the University of Adelaide. He says that even without ghost guns, people always seem to find ways to build their own weapons. We've been gunsmithing since the 1600s, since the invention of the gun, basically. And like all forms of homemade weapons, they're nearly impossible to track. Ghost guns have no serial number. They're untraceable. But they have surfaced here and there at the scene of crimes, and they have been used in shootings. According to the Wall Street Journal, they seem to show up most in states that have tougher laws on assault weapons. And companies that sell these kits say that they make the most profit when mass shootings are in the news. So when we're looking at 3D printed guns, we have to put them in this context. This isn't anything new. But there are a few key differences when it comes to 3D printed guns that have people worried. First off, they're printed in plastic. Some are calling a high-tech nightmare playing out at security checkpoints across this country. Virtually all plastic, able to defeat metal detectors. The idea that plastic guns could slip undetected onto planes is pretty scary. Or at least it would be if a gun like that currently existed. But the problem is just that. A 3D printed gun isn't 100% plastic. You've still got a nail as a firing pin. You've still got a bullet as ammunition. So you've got gunpowder in there, which will set off an explosive sensor. You've got uh, a metal nail. You've got the shell casing, which will, all of that will still set off a, a properly tuned uh, metal detector. So this is a bit of a myth. There's plenty of ways to detect a plastic gun, and it's using the same tech that we use now to sniff out concealed weapons. That is not to say this won't change as the blueprints get more sophisticated or as 3D printing tech improves. But right now, is a, is a plastic gun all that effective? Uh, I'd say no. Plastic's not designed to, to contain this sort of energy output from, from literally a, a miniature explosion. In their current state, 3D printed guns are more likely to harm the shooter than anyone it's aimed at. It's something the New South Wales police were eager to show us back in 2013 when the blueprints first hit the internet. The New South Wales police force has done that. We have manufactured two firearms. We have one of those firearms here with us today that we can show you. This is Police Commissioner Andrew Scipioni giving a press conference. And that is the sound of a 3D printed gun literally exploding apart under the pressure of a fired round. It looks a bit like an Acme cartoon. One second the gun is there, the next the top half is an open cavity. Um, That catastrophic failure of that firearm comes about because there are no standards. So when you hear gun advocates say that the outrage against 3D printed guns is unjustified, even hysterical, this is the kind of evidence they point to. And if you can just head to any American Kmart and buy a gun that does more damage, or we already have this huge trade in people panic buying DIY guns over the phone, then why are we so up in arms about 3D printed guns? Why this issue? Maybe the problem isn't the weapons themselves, but about the argument over what the gun represents.
I'm heading to the gallery at the University of Technology, Sydney, to an exhibition called Hello World. Hi, my name is Aaron Seymour. I'm the curator of Hello World, and I'm also an academic at UTS. I teach design in uh, visual communications. He's agreed to give me a tour. So welcome to the exhibition. It's called Hello World Code and Design. This exhibit is about the power of 3D printing to take code from a computer and transform it into a physical object in the real world. It's about what 3D printing can do now, but also how it has the potential to change our society's relationship to the built world. And it's this potential that can help us better understand the 3D printed gun debate. When we think of code, we tend to think of people sitting at a desk behind a kind of desktop PC. But of course, computation is increasingly being distributed into the world in all kinds of very fine and invisible ways. All around the exhibit is evidence of this. There's a 3D printed scoliosis brace that can be designed for a patient's exact dimensions. There's a designer dress that was printed for a runway show in the Netherlands, which like most runway fashion, isn't something you'd wear ever. But there's one cabinet in particular Aaron wants to show me. All right, so what have we got here? Well, I think these two pieces are interesting. So one is called the Free Universal Construction Kit, or Fuck It for short, it's the acronym. Uh, and it's, you know... Sorry, could you say that acronym again? <laughs> fuck it. <laughs> but what it is, is a bunch of open source 3D models that anyone can download. Um, so there's uh, 3D models to 79 different objects. It's basically a heap of plastic printed blocks in all different shapes and sizes. Kind of like Lego pieces, but without the different colours, and most importantly, without the copyright. Uh, and the aim of this is to kind of bypass those kind of intellectual property constraints. For example, if you've got a child that's got Lego and Duplo and Meccano and, and all these different um, children's toys that are kind of owned by multinational corporations, and what those objects do is allow children to connect individual construction toys together. What Aaron is saying is that there's no real reason why all these toys don't already work together. But companies like Duplo and Meccano, they only want you to use one brand, theirs. So their toys are built to be incompatible with each other. But if you could print parts that connect them all together, you can skip over seemingly pointless regulations that restrict our options. We give ourselves the freedom to choose. These inappropriately named children's toys aren't exactly flying off the shelves, but Aaron says that the actual practical use of them is beside the point. It's more making a kind of political statement about the possibilities of 3D printing and how they have the potential to kind of liberate us in different ways. This is a democratisation of children's toys, which brings us to the object on display right next to it. Pretty jarring though when you're walking through here because you've you've got children's toys and then a gun. Uh, well, they, I think these two objects kind of sit nicely together because they're both trying to do a kind of similar thing but uh, in different ways. In front of us is Defence Distributed's first gun that they released back in 2013. Well, sort of. We don't actually have the gun in the exhibition for legal reasons. Um, but what we have is a kind of 3D representation of the gun. It's an iPad with an animation of a gun, 
suspended in its digital matrix, slowly rotating in the middle of the screen. It's not an animation even of the actual digital file because the digital file, you know, it's illegal to download it in Australia. So we had a 3D model a model a likeness of the gun. Like the 3D printed toy kits, the Liberator is more than its function. It's really more manifesto than kind of practical object. But while kids' toys are pretty harmless, guns are a totally different matter. For Aaron, he wanted to show that the kind of freedom that 3D printing allows us to have, it has its consequences. Of course, one person's idea of freedom is, is you know, another person's idea of horror. So what does the 3D gun stand for, do you think? It's a political statement. So if 3D printed guns are an issue of politics rather than security or physics, then all of this started because of the politics of one person. There's been one voice at the centre of all of this chaos. After the break, Cody Wilson's war. I'm not sure that you can say there are quote-unquote dangerous things. I, I don't know. It seems to me a gun is a very safe thing. Very low rates of failure, designed to do what they're intended to do, you know. But let's take your extreme case. Let's imagine a future where I can immediately print out a Tech 9 unserialized and it works like a charm. Yes, you risk some very scary things happening. But um, I don't know. I just do not see the argument that this is something that must be stopped. And, in fact, how could you stop it? Welcome back to Think Digital Futures. In this episode, we're looking at 3D printed guns. But it's impossible to talk about 3D printed guns without also talking about the guy who made it his mission to put the blueprints online. Cody Wilson is an individual who has talked about anarchism, and he is also a very vocal proponent of radical gun rights and the widespread private ownership and distribution of firearms. That's Tim Litton again from the Georgia College of Law. And he talks about a radical libertarian ideology. Understanding libertarianism is important to understanding Cody Wilson himself. Basically, it is an ideology hinging on the notion of the ultimate freedom of individuals. The aim is to have complete autonomy over your own life and choices, and for other people to have those freedoms too. And so the enemy of libertarianism is any attempt by governments to create laws or regulations that infringe on what they see as fundamental rights to live how they choose, for better or for worse. In Australia, libertarianism tends to look like Senator Cory Bernardi driving around Canberra fighting for our right to vape in public. Uh, it's because the bureaucrats are in charge, mate. Um, and I just can't, can't see why this is banned at all. But in the States, a huge part of libertarianism has to do with the right to bear arms. It's enshrined in the Second Amendment of the Constitution, right under the First Amendment, free speech. Gun rights advocates hold these two amendments very close. Gun rights advocates, who I think believe very passionately that the most fundamental constitutional right that Americans have is the right to the widespread private ownership of firearms. 
And the reason they believe that is that they think that the greatest threat to ordered liberty is government tyranny. And there are roots to this idea in the founding of the United States. The founders of the United States talked a lot about the tyranny of the British monarchy and the revolution was fought against tyranny. The constitutional system was set up as an alternative to tyranny. And when gun rights advocates today turn on the television or read the newspaper, what they see is news from places like Syria or the Ukraine where civil order breaks down and the government becomes tyrannical. They say that that's what happens when you know, the populace is not able to properly be able to resist a government that turns tyrannous. And a lot of problems in the United States. We've had civil war, we've had slavery, we've had racism. But one thing that we've never had is a fascist or a communist takeover um, or a type of authoritarianism that has been part of the historical experience and not so long ago in Europe. Tim says people believe the reason why this hasn't happened in the States is because they have the Second Amendment. Woody Wilson is essentially drawing on that narrative to say that it's not only important that we have legal weapons, but everybody needs to have the capacity to produce a weapon. That's what it takes to be a society that can resist tyranny using widespread private ownership of firearms. And that's what Defense Distributed was created to do, basically prove a point about the first two amendments. To publish the designs for firearms, a wide variety of firearms, and um, Cody Wilson um, posted this data on the web with the idea that you know anyone would be able to download the data and print a gun at home. Tim says the first blueprint Cody uploaded was for the Liberator in May 2013. The party didn't last long. He received a letter from the Obama administration State Department demanding that he take down the coding data that he had posted. Um, the State Department under the Obama administration claimed that posting that data was a violation of federal regulations regarding the export of weapons or military hardware or technology. And they got an injunction against him to stop him from posting it. By then, though, the internet had worked its magic. The blueprints had already been downloaded hundreds of thousands of times. But since this is an ideological battle, this isn't where Cody stopped. He wanted to prove a point, because if the government was trying to stop him exercising his fundamental right, maybe he could prove they were being tyrannical. So he filed a lawsuit to have the injunction lifted. The case basically worked its way through the courts um, between Cody Wilson and Defense Distributed on one side and the federal government on the other side. The case stayed in the courts for a few years with nothing much happening. During this time, the 3D printed gun was kind of forgotten about. But this was during the Obama administration. With a new president more favorable to Cody's brand of extreme libertarianism, this changed. July 10th of this year in 2018, the Trump administration decided to no longer pursue the case and they settled with Cody Wilson. They paid his legal fees and they changed the regulations in order to exclude the technical data that he was posting from the list of munitions that were covered by the regulations under the State Department regulations. And they shifted the issue of technical data for 3D guns to a different list for regulations, which is overseen by the Commerce Department, which is a lot looser. And the idea was that Cody Wilson would then be free to go ahead and post his data. 
Is that essentially a green light then from the Trump administration? The Trump administration essentially said that they would no longer stand in the way of him posting this digital data online. And he clearly intended to do it because he had done it back in 2013 and he'd been litigating for five years in order to be able to do it. So it's tantamount to basically granting him permission. So with essentially a pat on the back from Trump, Cody put his blueprints online again. This time, they lasted one day. Attorneys general from eight different states brought a lawsuit to a federal court in Seattle, hoping to block Cody from posting the data. And the form of the lawsuit was actually a lawsuit against the State Department. And the lawsuit against the State Department was to stop the State Department from changing its regulations and allowing Cody Wilson to go forward. And the Seattle federal judge granted that injunction. And that injunction is where the situation still is at the point of recording this episode. Cody Wilson has said that he's going to fight this. He told one publication that Americans have the unquestionable right to access this information. And really, what this debate boils down to is a tricky ethical question. Who is responsible for gun violence? Tim says that this question of responsibility has been hanging around the gun control debate for decades. His research is actually about how American law courts attempt to find this answer. And they have been trying. For example, Tim says it's fairly common for someone who has been shot to sue the person who shot them to cover their medical costs and damages. But in the 1990s, victims stopped trying to sue their attackers and started suing the supply chain. The famous case that came out in the 1990s in which a man went into a Kmart, which is a department store which sells sporting goods, including firearms, and he was visibly deranged, and he said he wanted to purchase a weapon in order to harm his girlfriend. The clerk sold him the weapon. He went out into the parking lot and he shot the girlfriend. The girlfriend sued not only the boyfriend, but she also sued Kmart for selling the weapon. And in fact, a court held Kmart responsible and they had to pay liability to the shooting victim. This began a slew of lawsuits against gun manufacturers and sellers. People were starting to say that gun violence was the responsibility of the people who allowed the shooter to have a gun in the first place. And there's a couple of legal rationales behind this. One was the idea that manufacturing guns is an abnormally dangerous activity. And if you're making a gun that is then used to injure someone, then you should be held liable. Another is the idea that manufacturers are making defective products, i.e. since guns are intentionally designed to injure people, they're ethically defective. But the most relevant reason to Cody Wilson and 3D printed guns, Tim calls this negligent marketing. And the negligent marketing theory said that some of the practices of distribution and sales and marketing of the manufacturers was negligent or careless. And that as a result of that carelessness, injuries occurred and the manufacturer should be liable. This might be supplying guns knowing that some of them would end up on the black market. Or in Cody Wilson's case, supplying guns knowing that people would be downloading them with the intent to harm. But the problem with this is that in all of these cases, and I mean all, the First and Second Amendments won. Were these successful suits, the negligent marketing lawsuits? No plaintiff ever won a successful jury verdict that wasn't reversed in any of these cases. The vast majority of them were dismissed by judges. 
the argument being that gun manufacturers simply don't owe a duty to the public to sell their weapons carefully to prevent gun violence. 3D printing makes these ethical questions so much more important, and it speaks directly to a lot of the deep divides happening at the moment in the States. If we, as a society, want to hold sacred the idea of freedom and democracy, does that mean we also have to democratise access to guns? And where does the right to express our freedoms end, and our ethical responsibilities to protect people begin? The answer has everything to do with ideology, because if Cody Wilson and Defence Distributed want everyone to be able to manufacture arms in the name of democracy, the other side, the side that wants to stop Cody Wilson from doing this, they also have deep historical reasons. On the other hand, you have individuals who believe that the United States has been plagued by a long history that goes back to the settling of the West and the dispossession of Native Americans by the private widespread ownership of firearms. We have been suffering you know, large amounts of um, urban crime. We had political assassinations in the 1960s. We now have regular school shootings and massacres, which I'm sure you hear about in Australia. Right here in Newtown, Connecticut, the site today of a mass shooting, and this time, gunfire aimed at elementary school children. And many people believe that the reason why the society has this kind of carnage is, is because um, we allow pretty much anybody who doesn't have a mental health record or a felony conviction to buy weapons that are essentially just below military grade. Tim says this side of the debate holds that gun violence is the direct result of people having guns. And that by allowing people to use 3D printers to access even more guns, this problem will spiral. Um, There are more gun stores in the United States than there are fast food restaurants. And there are, you know, more privately owned firearms than there are automobiles. So people believe that the country is just awash in weapons and that Cody Wilson is not only making it possible for anybody to get a gun, any teenager with a plastic printer, um, but any teenager who wants to go into the gun manufacturing business. And that seems crazy to people. And I think that the 3D printer and Cody Wilson's project of sort of a radical democratization of the ability to build weapons has um, heightened anxieties on either side of this debate um, and has, you know, fed straight into both of these narratives. I think there are deep tensions in the American project, and um, these are issues where uh, those tensions are heightened and expressed. Yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of ideology hinging on the outcome of of Cody Wilson's like court decision. There's a lot of ideology that hinges on everything in American politics, from firearms regulation to healthcare to election reform. To be fair, um, there are strong facts and there are historical narratives that support both, you know, of the competing narratives on both sides of most of these divides. It's not as if one group is sort of crazy and out to lunch and doesn't have a sense of what the American project is. Thanks for listening to this episode of Think Digital Futures. This show is supported by 2SCR and the University of Technology, Sydney. We record this show at the 2SCR studios, which sits on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation. Couldn't have made this episode without the assistance of Aaron Seymour from UTS, Richard Matthew from the University of Adelaide and Tim Litton from the University of Georgia. 
Some of the grabs you heard in this episode come from an interview Cody Wilson did with On The Media. If you want to learn more about this story, you should definitely start there. I'll put the link up on the website, that is 2SER.com slash thinkdigitalfutures. Also owe a debt of thanks to the incredible research and reporting from Wall Street Journal and Wired Magazine. Again, I'll put the links up online if you want to read more. This show wouldn't exist without community radio, and if you want to support independent podcasts, do your bit and share us with your friends. Also rate and review us on iTunes. It makes a big difference. Until next episode, I'm Shane Anderson. Thank you for listening.